This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. people. I'm Dave Rubin. This is the Rubin Report Direct Message. Today's April 6, 2022. And whether you're a member of the LGBTQI plus LMNOP community or you're super straight, we welcome you here on the big show. We are live streaming, of course, on Rumble, on Blaze TV and on YouTube. And there's a lot cooking in the world. Before I do anything else, though, I feel that I have to show you something that arrived in the mail to my house yesterday because there's been a lot of talk, a lot of yammering about what's going on here in Florida. They're coming for the gays. DeSantis is hunting them down. They don't like them. It's bad. Run, gays, run. And then I went to the mailbox yesterday, as I do, and I opened up the mail and there was a package and it had two of these in it. These are, this is a onesie or a baby, when we got two of them. As you know, we have two babies on the way, and they came from the governor himself. So if Ron DeSantis hates gay people, hates gay families, and the rest of it, he's got a really, really strange way of doing it. I mean, look at that, that's pretty cute. Come on, future freedom voter. Like, I believe in freedom of choice and all that stuff. My kids will never be voting Democrat if they want to remain part of this family. That's how we're gonna do it. Anyway, I thought that was worth showing because the whole thing is just so stupid. We're actually not gonna be focusing that much on that today because there's a lot going on. That cold open that we just showed you. I mean, it's fairly obvious that old, doddering, confused Joe Biden is not in charge. And there might be some other guy, perhaps who was once a two-term president not too long ago that actually is in charge. So we're gonna dive into all of that. Before I get to it though, ladies and gentlemen, in six days, Don't Burn This Country comes out. You can still order your copy now and get it on April 12th on publication date, daverubin.com slash book. They're selling like hotcakes. What is a hotcake? Do you even know what a hotcake is? Can I get an image of a hotcake? Let's see if we can find an image. We can't get an image of a hotcake. Curious what a hotcake is. Uh, It's like a hot pocket. It's like an old school hot pocket, I guess. Uh, but yes, we want to crush the New York Times bestseller list just to expose their nonsense. So it's daverubin.com slash book to pick up the book. And of course, I am going on tour uh, real quick. We're kicking this thing off in Orlando, Florida at the Plaza Live on April 18th. We're going to West Palm, Clearwater, Raleigh, Atlanta, Chicago, Dallas, Washington, D.C., uh, West Nyack, New York, Brea, Oxnard, San Jose, Phoenix, and Denver. Real quick on the uh, the D.C. show, I'll have some more information on this shortly the original venue that we had booked, they had assured us it was, it was very important to me. I was not gonna perform anywhere where there were mask mandates, vaccine passports, uh, forced injections. I just was not gonna be part of any of that. 
And suddenly the venue in DC switched it up on us and they want people to have passports or a, co a negative COVID test. I'm just not gonna do it. So we are switching to another local theater. I'll have more info on that probably later today or tomorrow. If you've got tickets, don't worry, don't do anything yet. We will communicate with you and it will be an even better show because now they've fired me up. Uh, if you haven't got tickets yet, you can go to daverubin.com slash events. And uh, that's all I got to say about that. So let's get into the show. Uh, Joe Biden is the guy pretending to be president of the United States. And he welcomed former president of the United States, former two-time president of the United States, Barack Obama. Barack Obama, who of course got less votes than the 81 million votes that old Joe Biden got. Let's not forget that. But he welcomed him back to the White House for the first time since uh, leaving office uh, to do a little speech and talk in celebration of Obamacare, even though Obamacare really kind of never worked out and a lot of it's been stripped away and a lot of doctors hate it because of the bureaucratic nonsense and the paperwork and everything else. But there's a lot of pomp and circumstance with these people. Uh, and Obama gave a talk, Biden gave one of his muddling things. And then there were a couple of videos that came out after that I think illustrate, you know, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, video is worth a hell of a lot more than that. Uh, check out this video. This was right at the end of the reception. See where people are kind of going, where the energy is and what's happening on the side of the energy. bad for Joe. I actually feel bad for Joe. I, I make fun of Joe Biden all the time. And I have said many times, I sympathize uh, with whatever's going on with him cognitively, obviously. I've talked about it many times. Uh, both of my grandmas had some uh, form of dementia later in their lives. Uh, my grandma Elaine, I spent a lot of time with her going to geriatric doctors. I know what that is about. Uh, the forgetting, the frustration, the confusion, the missing words, all of that stuff, the, the sort of doddering around. I mean, it's obvious something's not right with him. Um, but let's put that aside for a second. In that room yesterday, Barack Obama was the president of the United States and Joe Biden was not. Everyone was paying attention to Barack Obama. No one was paying attention to Biden. I mean, the first video that we showed you in the cold open that we also showed you right there, he's just fumbling around looking for somebody to talk to, like he's being ignored. And uh, let, let's show the image, the still on this one. This is really the image of the whole thing. There is Joe and look at, look at his face, like give me attention, look at me, I'm president, man. And Obama's completely ignoring him, completely ignoring him. And he's got his hand on his shoulder, like turn around. And in that video, that's a still from the, the video that we just showed you there. Obama is totally focused and smiled and getting his ego stroked and everyone loves Barack. He knows that the president's touching him. You know when someone's touching you, you just know it, especially if it's, the president of the United States, you know when you're being grabbed. It's not like a lot of people are allowed to just walk up to Barack Obama and grab him. Biden was also yelling to him at that point and he was ignoring it and he was doing it intentionally. There's just no doubt about it. There's just no doubt about it. So we've got Biden first looking confused and being ignored. Then you've got Biden trying to get Obama's attention and Obama just soaking in the sunshine, the love 
of the people. And there are other leaders in the world and they might be seeing videos like this. And what do you think that makes them think? It probably makes them think uh, a couple things. I would say at the very least, it makes them think, boy, Biden's pretty banged up and really not up to the job. It makes them also think who's really in charge here. It makes them think, what is Obama's move here? Uh, but it also probably makes them think they can kind of do whatever they want because this administration seems weak. Now, I want to contrast Biden's fumbling and stumbling uh, with something from the Orange Man a couple years ago. Uh, this is 2017 at a meeting in Europe, and I'm sure many of you will remember this. Okay, so I'm not saying this is the most important thing ever, but I think it does illustrate a problem that's in the world that's related to everything you could argue is going on in Russia and Ukraine and everywhere else right now. We have a president that's a, that appears weak. The United States appears weak and confused and muddled. Trump, like him or not, the guy who burst through there, he pushed Montenegro's prime minister out of the way at a NATO meeting, gets up there, does the thing with the jacket. You know, he's sort of like an ape. He gets up, beats his chest, I am Trump. It's like, whether you like that or not, whether that's disrespectful or not or whatever, it was, it was asserting, we are the United States, I walk out first, blah, blah, blah. We could have all sorts of discussions about how everyone should behave at NATO meetings and all of those things. Uh, but I'm just trying to show it to you for the contrast of what is going on from one administration to another. But the real reason I wanted to, to uh, show you this and discuss this was because when I was watching the video of Obama yesterday and he's feeling presidential again, he's got the swagger again, and, and he knows, like you, you just gotta know, everybody in that room, whether they're an invited guest or a staff member or literally the people serving the hors d'oeuvres, everyone knows what's going on, that the Biden thing is crumbling and falling apart. This has been a horrific disaster of an administration. The VP is, a, is an abject disaster too. Like, like the whole thing is kind of coming, coming apart at the seams, right? Now, would Barack Obama be interested in a third term? I mean, that seemed pretty disrespectful, didn't it? To walk in there and, and I'm the man, and I'm gonna ignore you and I'm gonna be shaking hands and smiling while you, you know, you just kind of putter around, old dude. Uh, but could we put it beyond Barack Obama that actually he would like to have a third term? I, I, I've said this before. I, 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 uh, people would ask me, knowing what you know now, do you wish like you had a, sec, a, a third term? Um, and I, I used to say, you know what, if, if I could make an arrangement where um, I had, a, I had a, a stand in, a front man or front woman, and, and they had an earpiece in, and I was just in my basement in my sweats mm -hmm. looking through the stuff, and then I could sort of deliver the lines, but somebody else was uh, doing all the talking and ceremony. Wow. I, I'd be fine with that. Oh, you'd be fine with that? Now, look, I know he's being a little tongue in cheek, but he's also not. He's saying, yeah, I would love to continue being the most powerful man in the world after my two terms are over. Biden is obviously a puppet. I'm not saying he's absolutely a puppet for Barack Obama. I don't know that Barack Obama's in the basement in Nantucket or in the new house in Palm Springs, right on the water, despite climate change, or any of that. Um, I don't know that he's actually sitting there with the earpiece, say this, Joe, say this, Joe. I don't know that, but it does kind of feel like Barack is getting exactly what he wanted, doesn't it? That this is what he wanted. If I could have a puppet, 
in essence. If I could have some guy who would just do all of the stuff that I want them to do, and we're having a continuation of that. And, and by the way, this isn't like some crazy conspiracy theory. I mean, at the beginning of the Biden presidency, they were all talking about how they wanted to you know, continue the Obama legacy, which was wiped away in many ways by the Trump presidency. Um, but you know, this is, this is sort of what Joe wanted. He brought in a lot of Obama people and you know, he was VP uh, under Obama and, and he loves Obama. I mean, even this back in 2007, I mean, listen to the great way that he talks about Barack Obama. I mean, you got the first sort of mainstream African-American who is articulate and bright and and, and clean and nice-looking guy. I mean, that's a storybook, man. Ain't no racism like progressive lefty racism, is there? Yeah, Barack was the first nice-looking, articulate black guy. You know, Thomas Sowell, Clarence Thomas. Larry Elder. I'm not going to just sit here and list black people. This is the most idiotic, offensive, ridiculous thing. But that is the way they look at these. Ah, oh, there's Barack Obama. He's got nice teeth. He does have nice teeth. He must be president of the United States for a third term. But all of this is making me think that there's a lot going on here. And if, if you just sit back, and that's why I've been trying to do the show the way we're doing it lately with these narrative stories. If you just sit back and you remember some of the things that happened in the past, and you see what's happening in the present, you can actually kind of put the story together and not, then not feel so crazy about everything. So I wanna link this, this Obama-Biden situation to what's going on with Elon Musk at Twitter because if Obama's getting back in in one way, which to me would be a negative way, now Elon Musk is making a move on Twitter. You all know about this. We've got uh, some more info from CNBC. Elon Musk and Twitter have always been a volatile combination. That's especially unlikely to change now with Musk buying a 9.2% stake in the social media company and landing a seat on Twitter's board of directors. For context, Twitter co-founder and former CEO Jack Dorsey's stake in Twitter is just over 2%, and Dorsey, who stepped down as CEO in November 2021, is leaving Twitter's board when his term ends in May. Musk's board term will last until 2024. Oh, that's sort of interesting. Doesn't something big happen in 2024? The company said in a separate regulatory filing, functionally making him a more powerful figure within Twitter than Dorsey going forward. Musk's piece of Twitter is technically categorized as a passive stake, which means it falls just below the 10% threshold for a shareholder to be considered an active or activist shareholder. Typically, passive shareholders don't try to exert much control over a company's decision-making. Musk might be the exception to that rule. So I wanna focus on that part first. So he's right under this threshold, which sort of uh, de facto gives you more rights to exert your control over the company, you exert your opinions, et cetera, et cetera. He's right below that, but already, and actually, even before he announced the 9.2%, we were talking about this a week ago, he was already exerting influence over Twitter just because he's on Twitter asking questions about Twitter and saying, what's wrong with this platform and are they uh, defending free speech, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So now we've got a series of tweets here from some of the current players. First up is Twitter CEO Parag Agrawal. This is the guy who replaced Jack Dorsey. He said, I'm excited to share that we're appointing Elon Musk to our board. 
Through conversations with Elon in recent weeks, it became clear to us that he would bring great value to our board. Now that's of course nice to hear, uh, but he did not do anything. This guy did not do anything pro-free speech or unban anybody or anything like that in the months uh, since he took over from Jack. But I suppose that's nice to hear. He wants to work with Elon Musk. That's pretty good. Now we've got something from Elon himself. Looking forward to working with Parag and the Twitter board to make significant improvements improvements to Twitter in coming months. Now, okay, that's something because he's telling you, hey, I got here for a reason, right? I didn't just get this, like there's other things I can do with my billions of dollars. I'm here to actually make a change. Well, then former CEO, Jack Dorsey, Mr. I'm constantly on a mushroom trip, he checked in and he said, I'm really happy Elon is joining the Twitter board. He cares deeply about our world and Twitter's role in it. Parag and Elon lead with their hearts and they will be an incredible team. Uh, Before I continue, I wanna just pause for a second and say something because I know a lot of you are not on Twitter and I actually think that's quite valuable and enviable and good. Uh, You know, there are plenty of people that are not on Twitter, don't feel the need to communicate on Twitter and everything else. That being said, these platforms have become our public square at the moment and they will not exist forever. That's one of the reasons why I'm always against government regulation of them because once the government comes in and regulates them, it sort of calcifies them into the system. So these things won't last forever. Better products will come. There is an alternate internet being built, which Rumble and Locals are part of. Um, But I think these these moments are important because the, the focus of the conversation, politically and culturally, is still on Twitter. Twitter is still the place for that so that people on say YouTube or Rumble and other things, or people that are reporters or whatever you wanna call them, journalists at CNN or at the New York Times, they're still reporting on what's going on on Twitter. So that's why I think this is important. So if you're watching this and going, well, I'm not on Twitter, I don't really care about Twitter. It's like, that still is ground zero for the conversation. Um, So the Washington Post had an interesting take on this. Here's a beautiful headline from the Washington Post. Elon Musk's Twitter investment could be bad news for free speech. It's literally the reverse of the truth, which is simply perfect for the Washington Post. Elon made a point over the course of the last few weeks of saying, I want to defend free speech. I don't like the way Twitter is doing it. I am here now putting my money where my mouth is to ensure that they will be more respectful of free speech principles. But of course, Washington Post's editorial about that was that it's going to somehow harm uh, free speech. Uh, But Elon, despite the Washington Post, the Washington Post owned by Jeff Bezos, by the way, Amazon's Jeff Bezos, uh, the Washington Post, uh, sorry, um, here's some of the things that are happening right now going on on Twitter related to free speech. Well, Elon Musk, do you want an edit button? This is something people have talked about for a long time because, you know, occasionally you, actually mistype something, or I find iPhone autocorrect is actually horrible and doesn't warn me about words that are mistyped and sometimes confuses other words and puts spaces between things and all sorts of crazy stuff. And you realize it literally one second later. Now, the issue is if you were to add an edit button, do they have to acknowledge that there was an edit? What if it's already got a thousand retweets? There's all sorts of stuff, but this is something that people have been clamoring about literally for 10 years. And then finally, one day later, after Elon Musk says that, Twitter communications. Now that everyone's asking, yes, we've been working on an edit feature since last year. No, we didn't get the idea from a poll. (laughs) Uh, We're kicking off testing within uh, the Twitter Blue Labs in the coming months to learn what works, what doesn't, and what's possible. Now look, 
again, without saying that Twitter is the most important thing in the world here, whether Twitter has an edit button or not is sort of secondary. Now we'll get to the meat of this because the meat of this is about free speech and our ability to communicate with each other. Not the government saying you can communicate with each other, but, but private citizens' ability to communicate with each other in the modern world. And Elon Musk is clearly trying to defend that. Unless I am being completely duped right now and everybody else is too, that seems to be what's going on here. So we've got some info from the Daily Wire. Elon Musk contacted the Babylon Bee before a substantial share of, before buying a substantial share of Twitter, according to the Christian Satire's chief executive. Musk is a fan of the Babylon Bee, which is currently suspended from Twitter for an article that jokingly named Health and Human Services Assistant Secretary Rachel Bean as Man of the Year and was hosted on the site's podcast at the end of last year. According to Babylon Bee CEO Seth Dillon, the world's richest man consulted with the Babylon Bee before purchasing a 9.2% stake in Twitter. Musk reached out to us before he polled his followers about Twitter's commitment to free speech. Dylan reported he wanted to confirm that we had in fact been suspended. He even mused on a call that he might need to buy Twitter. Now he's the largest shareholder and has a seat on the board. Twitter has thus far refused to revoke its decision to lock the Babylon Bee's account. According to Dylan, the company wrote, our support team has determined that a violation did take place and therefore we will not overturn the decision. Now, there's a couple interesting things here. So the Babylon Bee is suspended for quite literally making a joke. Quite literally making a joke. Now, we know that the Ayatollah is on Twitter. We know that Hamas is on Twitter. We know that terror organizations like Antifa are on Twitter or Black Lives Matter is on Twitter. And there's all sorts of bad people that say horrible things on Twitter. In my estimation, as long as you're not breaking the laws of the United States, you should be allowed to be on Twitter and people can block you or mute you or whatever it might be. But the Babylon Bee is suspended because of a joke. And then, even though still very few people are talking about this, it's important to note that Tucker Carlson, the number one rated host in the history of cable news, is suspended right now for the exact same thing, for basically saying, Rachel Levine is a man, not a woman, a biological man, not a woman. That is a fact. That is an uncomfortable fact, but that is a fact. So Elon Musk is defending the bee. I suspect that the Babylon Bee will be back on there soon, which also leads us perhaps to believe that a certain orange man might be back on there. Uh, we've got some info here from the Washington Examiner because they went in and they said, well, who is it maybe that's been gone from Twitter that Elon Musk could bring back in? I'll just give you a couple of them here. Uh, you've got Roger Stone, conservative political consultant and lobbyist. Alex Jones, you all know who he is. Uh, then there's, of course, the orange man himself, uh, former President Donald Trump. Uh, you've got Republican Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's a current Congresswoman who is now suspended on Twitter. You've got James O'Keefe from Project Veritas. Uh, you've got Dr. Robert Malone, who has more patents on mRNA technology than anyone, if I'm not mistaken. He is suspended. And there's plenty of other people that are suspended. And as you know, I've been suspended for different things. These people are, at the moment, per, uh, are fully banned. I've been temporarily suspended. Um, so the question really is, there's a couple questions here. So first off, what is Elon gonna do? He didn't just buy this 9% stake and then put himself on the board or ask to be put on the board to not solve some of these issues. He had to know these issues were coming. He had to know that the first thing that was gonna happen to him was they were all gonna say, what are you gonna do about Trump? What are you gonna do about Trump, right? That's it, that's the big one. But it's not just that. It's not just those people, James O'Keefe and Marjorie Taylor Greene and 
whoever else, regardless of your feelings about these people, it's not just about those people specifically. There's also this other issue. There's this Hunter Biden laptop issue that someone at Twitter or a team of people at Twitter decided to make sure that they were not going to allow this story to be put up. But it also goes beyond that. Uh, Phoenix, we can go back to this part. This, uh, this Donald Trump situation, because remember what Twitter said when Donald Trump was suspended. We've got the actual qu quotes from Twitter themselves. This is when Donald Trump was suspended. They said, after close review of recent tweets from the real Donald Trump account and the context around them, specifically how they are being received and interpreted on and off Twitter, we have permanently suspended the account due to risk of further incitement or violence. There's something really interesting here because what they're saying is, they're not really saying, this is after January 6th, that Donald Trump incited violence on Twitter because we know that he didn't do that. He didn't call for violence. He didn't say storm the Capitol. He didn't say bring weapons, anything like that, right? You may not have liked some of his language, but we know he did not do that. What they're saying there is the language around it, how it's been received and interpreted. That's very dangerous because anything that any of us say can be received and interpreted very differently than we mean it, right? I can only be held account for my words. I can't be held account for how you interpret my words and what you might do after. Now, if I was literally up here screaming for a violent act to take place against a specific person or a specific building, then we've got something. But it's a very dangerous place when we say that the, the, the move around language, the, the force field around language isn't just the words themselves, but it's how people receive those words. That, words. That's a very different thing. Uh, let's continue on that. In the, this is how Twitter framed it. In the context of horrific events this week, we made it clear on Wednesday that additional violations of the Twitter rules would potentially result in this very course of action. Our public interest framework exists to enable the public to hear from elected officials and world leaders directly. It is built upon a principle that the people have a right to hold power to account in the open. Now, of course, this is complete nonsense. So let me, sorry, I'll finish up and then I'll analyze. I'm getting ahead to the anal analyzation first. However, we made it clear going back years that these accounts are not above our rules entirely and cannot use Twitter to incite violence, among other things. We will continue to be transparent around our policies and their enforcement. Okay, so first off, they're not transparent about their policies or their enforcement. We all know about shadow bannings. We know that they always ban and suspend people that are on the right far more than they do on people on the left. We know that the government of China, which is no uh, bastion of free speech, is on Twitter. I mentioned the Ayatollah before. I mentioned Hamas. I mean, we know that these things are on there. So they have different policies depending on sort of who they're in bed with and perhaps who their investors are and whatever else it might be. Uh, and then when you throw in this Hunter Biden story that quite literally might have changed the course of the election, right? It quite literally might have changed the course of the election. Uh, and now Jack Dorsey, believe it or not, now that Jack Dorsey's out and he's only got his 2% and he's not CEO of Twitter anymore, he's basically saying that the, uh, the Hunter Biden story, well, that was, and how it happened to Twitter and the whole thing, that it was pretty much a mistake. We've got some info here from the New York Post. Twitter doesn't have a censoring department that blocked the post from tweeting last fall, CEO Jack Dorsey said on Thursday, but he wouldn't reveal who was responsible for the blunder. At a congressional hearing on misinformation and social media, Dorsey said Twitter made a total mistake by barring users from sharing the post bombshell October report about Hunter Biden's emails. 
Twitter also locked the post out of its account for more than two weeks over baseless charges that the expose used hacked information, a decision Dorsey chalked up to a process error. It was literally just a process error. There was, this was not against them in any particular way, Dorsey told the House Energy and Commerce Committee. If we remove a violation, we require people to correct it, he added. We change that based on their to wanting to delete that tweet, which I completely agree with. I see it, but is something, it is something we learn. Twitter demanded that the Post delete six tweets that link to stories based on files from the abandoned laptop of President Biden's son, of President Biden's son. Twitter backed down after the paper refused to remove the posts, a development the Post celebrated on its October 31st front page with the headline, Free Bird. Okay, so let's be very clear. Uh, that was Jack Dorsey saying those things under oath to a committee, a congressional committee, and he's obviously lying. What does that mean? It's a processing error. We didn't know what we were doing. We had no idea. There was no political pressure brought to bear. Who did it? Why is there no, why did nobody get fired about this? Why are there, is there nobody? Oh, you know, there were a couple meetings. Like there are emails about this stuff. This is important stuff. Even if you don't think Twitter's that important, the idea that a major media company censored a story that we all know now is true. Two weeks ago, finally, the New York Times confirmed that it is true. The 51 former intelligence people who all said it was Russian misinformation, they had no evidence of that. They all made it up. None of them are being hauled in front of Congress either. There's, there's so much smoke here. There's so much smoke, but we have to figure out where the fire is. And I suspect maybe Elon Musk is gonna find the fire, maybe, because now he is going to have the ability to get access to who had meetings with who about what they were gonna do. Was this, what does that mean? It was a processing error. There was some sort of coding problem and for some reason people couldn't DM the story from the New York Post. Oh, and the story, it was just the one time we had this processing error and it just had, it was just right before the election and it just happened to help the guy we want and hurt the guy we don't want. It's a freaking coincidence like you wouldn't believe. Get it, guys? You get it? You can put some of this stuff together. You can put these pieces together. I think this can get Joe Biden in serious trouble. I think maybe Barack Obama knows it, why, which is why he's suddenly back in the fold. Who freaking knows? Who knows? Who knows? Uh, Peter Ducey, you guys know Peter Ducey over at Fox News. He's an actual journalist. It's so refreshing not to have to stretch my fingers and do this when I say journalist around Fox News is Peter Ducey. Uh, well, he asked uh, Jen Psaki, yesterday if uh, they would support an independent special counsel uh, because now the Hunter Biden laptop thing, even though it was just a processing error on the part of Twitter, yeah, it turned out to be real. A lot of stories about Hunter Biden surfacing this week. So to ensure the independence of the investigation, would the president support the appointment of a special counsel? Well, first, the president has never had a conversation with the Department of Justice about any investigations into any member of his family. He said that during the campaign, and he will continue to abide by that. So I'd point you to the Department of Justice for any additional steps they would take. They would make those decisions independently. Is, is there any concern that they're not going to be uh, necessarily seen as being able to make the decisions independently if the White House chief of staff is out saying that uh, the president is confident his son did not break the law? Well, that's something the president has said, and certainly we would echo. But in the same answer to that question, Peter, during an interview this week on ABC, Ron Klain also said the Justice Department is independent and they will make their own decisions. I don't think it's overstating it to say that this could take down the administration. Something is going on here. A major 
big tech media company censored a story that we all know is now true. This, the stuff that's on the laptop, the emails and why Hunter Biden was involved with Ukrainian energy companies and whether money was going up to the big guy, meaning Biden, on top of whatever else he was doing, smoke and crack in the pictures and all of that stuff. This is bad, this is bad. And if it is being referred to the Justice Department, which is what Saki's saying, it's kind of funny that Saki's quitting her job at the same time, right? We talked about that yesterday. Saki's going over to MSNBC. She's gonna to continue to be a paid liar, but she's just not gonna do it for the administration anymore. She's gonna do it over on MSNBC. So she kind of sees the writing on the wall and something seems a little fishy about all of this. Uh, Ducey continued to ask Saki some stuff. And the president has said that he never spoke to his son about his overseas business dealings. Is that still the case? Yes. Go ahead. That's pretty uh, straightforward there, Saki. You're saying yes, Biden never spoke to his son about his business dealings. Think about how nonsensical this is. Really think about this for a second. Hunter Biden has no experience doing anything in the energy sector. He was a crack addict artist. He was then getting paid millions of dollars by an energy company in Ukraine, why was he getting paid that money? If they wanted to find a crack addict uh, artist, they could have gone to the streets of Seattle and picked up anybody, but they picked up the vice president's son. Do you think it possibly was because, I know, is this, is this Alex Jones level stuff? But do you think it's possible that a Ukrainian energy company that wants certain things done, they want certain deals passed, they want certain people in certain positions, right? Um, do you think they might be like, hey, could we pay the president's crack addict son who has no experience doing anything. So we'll give him a whole bunch of money so that maybe he will have some ability to get his dad to do something. What Jen Psaki just said right there, first off, they're saying that's all just not true. No, he actually was qualified for the job, just not true. But what Jen Psaki said there is no, Biden has never had a conversation about that with his son. So, he's ne so Joe Biden and Hunter Biden have never talked about Hunter Biden's work. That's pretty crazy. Uh, any of you that are out there that have fathers, or any of you are, that are out there that are fathers, is there literally any person on earth that has never talked to their father or their son about what they do for a living? But apparently that's what's happened with the old confused guy and the crack addict. I should write a children's book. The old confused guy and the crack addict. That's gonna be my next children's book. Uh, anyway, th this thing stinks. This thing stinks to high hell. And uh, I don't know, I I'm not a private investigator. I'm just not an idiot. So that's why I'm talking about it. I don't think you're gonna get that on CNN. Um, and in summation, now the Obama thing, it all feels like something. It all feels like something. And that's all I got to say about that. Let's get some comments from the locals community. Uh, Kat says, hope your kids grow up under a DeSantis presidency. Look, my feelings are clear on this. I want DeSantis to crush it. And I, I think he will crush it. And I think it could be like record level crushing it in Florida. I, I think he could win this thing 60%. I think it'd be 62%. I mean, I think he will absolutely crush it here in Florida. I mentioned the other day that when DeSantis came in, I'm gonna get these numbers slightly off, but it's close to this. When DeSantis came in, uh, there were more Democrats in, than Republicans in Florida by something like 250,000. I think it's about 80,000 more Republicans than Democrats right now. I'm, I'm pretty close on those numbers. So just that alone, uh, on top of the fact that all these people are moving here and know why they're moving here and all the good reasons that we talk about Florida all the time. So look, I want DeSantis to crush it. And then, then he'll have another two years to keep Florida strong, model that, hopefully get some other uh, governors in other states to have some balls fight for what they believe in, you know, 
institute some of the policies here in free Florida. And then, and then there has to be a discussion. Uh, well, the discussion actually has to happen probably early 2023. So not that long from now. The discussion has to happen you know, in about 10 months. Are you going to consider doing the presidential thing? The, re the real question again is where does Trump fall on that? I think DeSantis overall obviously would be a better candidate, but I'm more concerned about my state than I am about the presidency right now. That, and that's the way the country was set up, so it's okay. Uh, but yes, obviously I would support DeSantis for president. Uh, Margo says, maybe Biden will get mad enough that he calls up the orange guy and says, go get him. <laughs> yeah, exactly, remember that? Remember, go get him uh, at the end of uh, that speech he gave a couple of weeks ago. You remember that big speech he gave? And then he just yelled out of nowhere, go get him. And it's like, who, what, where, when, why, current events, what's going on here? Adam says, Musk just pulled a Bruce Wayne level power move. Yeah, it is one of those moves like right out of a movie, right? It's right out of Bruce Wayne walking into the boardroom and like you're all fired or just any, any movie about business when there's that moment in the boardroom. Um, I, think, I think you're, you're totally right. This is, a, this is a power move by a guy that can make power moves. And you know, you see a lot of people, I think I've said this once or twice before, um, you see a lot of people that say, oh, you know, these people that have FU money, if I had FU money, right? If I had all this money in the world, then I'd say what I want because I wouldn't be worried about anything. I would just do what I want, say what I want. I'd fight for all the right things and everything else. It's simply not the case. It's simply not the case. I think what often happens, and there are some notable exceptions to this, and I, I, you know, I, I know some people in, in these categories through the show and, and some friendships. There are some notable exceptions of, to this, so I'm not, I'm not condemning everyone, but one of the things that happens, and it's just human nature, by the way, you start getting more money. Now you have more employees, let's say, more people that are dependent on you. All sorts of other things that happen. And then suddenly you actually become less willing to risk it because you now feel the weight of those other people and those employees and all of those things and the stuff that you got. And then more people actually become quiet. So in many ways, uh, the less that you have to lose the more that you will fight, right? Like, I mean, watch the movie Rocky. It's like, when was he, he was at his best in the, in the early years when he had nothing, right? He was this, this fighter out of, out of uh, Philly and he had absolutely nothing. And then Rocky three, remember Rocky three when, uh, what's his name? Mr. T is involved and Mr. T is hungry and Rocky, he's doing commercials and he's got money and endorsements and Mr. T's kicking the crap out of him. Why? Because he's not as hungry. So that is one of those things. So the fact that Elon Musk still puts himself in these positions, I mean, this is a guy who could live in ways that, that truly you cannot imagine, that I cannot imagine. There are pro the, the access to money and his ability to freaking go to space. And if he wanted to live on Mars, he could figure out a way to do it. Like it's, it's off the charts, the difference between the way he can live and the way pretty much everyone else on earth can live. And instead of just focusing on all of the things that are his intellectual pursuits and his pursuit of other, literally other worlds, he's saying, hey, I'll fix a problem here. That's a pretty good guy. That's a pretty good guy. Guys, reminder, in six days, Don't Burn This Country comes out. You can get your copy now. Please do get it if you have not. You can get it in old school book form or you can get it in audiobook form, however you like it, daverubin.com slash book and all the links to the different vendors are there. And uh, of course you can join me on tour uh, where a whole bunch of great people are gonna be joining me. Don Jr. and Megan Kelly and Larry Elder and Dennis Prager and Blake Masters and Michael Malice and Jan Me Park and Brian Callen and Benny Johnson and who did I forget? Uh, who? 
Don Jr., I think I said that one. And anyone else that we want to repeat that I said already? I'll just say one that I said already. Megan Kelly, it's going to be great, people. Uh, DaveRubin.com slash events. And if you want to play along for the live chat during the show, check out RubinReport.Locals.com. And I think you'll enjoy our cold close for today. See you tomorrow. Thank you guys for tuning in to the Rubin Report Direct Message. We're live on Rumble, Blaze TV, and YouTube every weekday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific. Don't forget to review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. And if you're looking for early and exclusive content, you can join me on Locals at rubinreport.locals.com.